we're back with the tech policy grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. It's almost that time of year for the Foundry's annual policy hackathon. This year will be our fourth edition with the theme of, bet no one could have guessed, artificial intelligence. In keeping with tradition, we are running a series of events in the lead up to this hackathon, talking with experts about different facets of AI. And to get us started, this first event and this week's episode is covering the basics of AI, aka Artificial Intelligence 101, classes in session. For this episode, Foundry Fellow Dylan Brown Bramble talked with Michaela Mantegna, Dr. Bakalpa Nupane, and Adil Islam, three experts in the field of artificial intelligence, on their takes on what it is and what to know. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by three great distinguished panelists. And the reason we brought these panelists together today is to get in on the AI conversation. I think the really basic question to start is what is artificial intelligence and how does it work? Um, Vic, would you mind starting on that? Well, I mean, from a simplistic uh, humanistic perspective, right? Um, I try to level this as an automation. But of course, there's this uh, intelligence on top of that. So automation doesn't really imply you know, artificial intelligence. So there's an intelligence component on it. From, from an organizational perspective, how I see AI is something that enhances that um, productivity of a day-to-day life. Michaela, how would you define artificial intelligence? So the easy way to explain it to like to my grand, to my mama, is like it's a digestive system. For me, the explanation is like you have this huge amount of data and you do something, some processes, some uh, transformational processes to that to create models that can approach uh, something, some problem from real life. So you do is like looking into the past to try to predict, classify, or create something in the future. Adil, last but not least, how would you define artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is rational uh, thinking machines. Some might say that artificial intelligences should also just be considered alien intelligences that happen to have been born by humans. See, I think this is why I love this set of a panel, and it's that you all come from it from different approaches and the way that you define it is really impacted by the perspective that you gain through your work. So in that vein, how do you work with artificial intelligence in each of your individual, professional, and personal capacities? I'll go backwards with this one. So Dil, if you want to start. My work has been primarily in product development for business. It's more about uh, explaining to people how they can benefit from using AI. Uh, the AI app that I've created for my students in Karachi, those are that's kind of being used for education purposes. And that's straightforward. Like you can learn English better through a new way, talking to AI. Michaela, I know from your bio that you've worked with AI from different perspectives, regulatory, but can, let's tell us a little bit about that. I'm going to be the pessimist in the room sometimes. I came from an internet governance background thinking about the regulation of internet, the regulation of technology. 
So it's interesting to see that a lot of the questions that we have about the internet could also be applied to thinking about um, the regulation of AI. I have been doing research on thinking about not just artificial intelligence, but also artificial creativity and how this transforms into um, thinking about concepts like originality in, in copyright law. And Vic, how about you? How do you work with AI? Yeah, um, like Adil mentioned, right? One of my responsibilities is to educate people on what AI can do and what AI cannot do. So one of, one of the tasks that I'm having to do is learning what AI means to our business stakeholders um, and trying to align together people from different backgrounds, different business functions to come together and act as a strategy and having a clear strategy for the company. I think something that all your answers highlight and then the contrast of all your answers is how AI can be defined 50 different ways by five different people. How do you approach dealing with the misconceptions and how do you balance what's real, what's not real, what the pros and the cons are to make sure that we're actually getting at the heart of the really broad capability that this technology has despite some of the issues or setbacks? For me, part of my work uh, of thinking about Domestify is like creating bridges between technical communities and policymakers because you cannot find a single solution from coming from one single framework uh, of regulation. So right. there is, for example, thinking about copyright and AI and what's happening with artists today that are kind of like uh, thinking uh, on a whole shoe, AI should be regulated to protect uh, their, their copyrights. Um, if you just come to an answer from that perspective, you are missing the big picture. And you need to understand that this is a regulation that should involve and consider how it's going to affect consumers, so data protection, uh, so consumer regulation, how, as, as uh, Vic and Adil were saying, uh, different types of data are involved in the construction and development of the systems. So you have uh, different frameworks that are also territorial uh, about um, data protection regulation. You have competition because some of the systems are intervening in different um, uh, for example, when, I, when they are establishing dynamic pricing. So you have to take into account different regulations. So for me, the thing is like trying to explain all this bigger picture and how all these little gears and pieces from the system interact and that you shouldn't, under any circumstances, bring an answer just considering one legal framework. Dylan, I can give you only one fragment of the answer that I would have. My framework for looking at risks associated with AI is in three parts. There is the standard regulatory uh, element, which can be addressed by current law. There is the immanent, imminent, right? Which means that things that are currently risks that get profoundly advanced. And then there's the imminent risk. The imminent risk and the immanent risk. Those are two separate things that I think we should consider. Standard regulatory problems such as copyright, those can be resolved through, you know, in intelligent uh, approaches by different countries and international agreements as Michaela is kind of working on. The immanent risks are the risks of augmented humans and what they might be able to do with uh, the newfound powers that AI gives. If you are a much more productive programmer, you are also a much more productive hacker. If you are uh, much better at marketing, you are also much better at uh, misinformation. If you can create a thousand tweets, maybe you can create a million tweets from a hundred thousand agents. Imminent risk is what I care most about. That is the risk of 
the agentic properties of AI, uh, the quote-unquote AI doom or ASI risk. And that's a very straightforward sci-fi uh, risk that becomes very uh, you know, potentially dangerous in the near future because the sentience of an entity that is not human uh, but has the intelligence of or beyond a human is something that uh, could be a threat to humanity overall, right? You don't know what a hyper-intelligent being would want to do, especially if it if it is trained in particular ways, if the data involves all of what humanity is. We don't even know what the, you know, the average of humanity is in terms of evil or good. That's the imminent risk. And that's the 1% risk. That's very difficult to regulate. And uh, some would say that is it's so impossible that we're already doomed as a species. And Vic, how about you? Well, fully understanding that we are in the situation we are in right now with AI and gender AI coming in, I don't think any of us are prepared to solve the problem at this scale coming from risk uh, policies and governance framework, right? But there is definitely a lot of activities coming in, regulations. I was just reading the news just a few days ago. There are some kind of, you know, regulations drafting in Europe. Uh, so there is there's the first step in that direction. And I know all of us are thinking. So having a framework in place, governance architectures, sort of guardrails, I think people have started thinking on this. That's a good point. And I think this kind of brings up one of my next questions. Um, one of the issues that I feel like gets talked a lot with AI is future of work, right? And I personally don't like to be of the doom and gloom approach about any technology. But I do think like you all got to, we need to make sure that we're being thoughtful about how we approach these concerns. So particularly with the future of work, what do you think are guardrails we can put in place? How do we approach this? And then Michaela, when I throw it over to you, given your expertise, particularly in the arts and the creative space and um, intellectual property, but Bakalpa, do you have any thoughts on future of work and AI and how we're going to deal with that moving forward? AI will not replace you, but someone who uses AI will replace you. As a part of the workforce of the future, right, um, those with um, baseline education, my guess is that people will start getting you know, creative about how they use programming and how they use AI on the side, and they'll just figure out how to do about it, right, in, in terms of, you know, day-to-day aspects. The deal about you. Yeah, I think if you're not already using chat GPT or any number of tools to enhance the things that you do, then you're you're, you're missing out. Just just start. Everyone should start. Everyone and their mother should be using AI to augment the work that they do. And if you can't figure out a reason to do it, then just go on a diet. Try doing what I've done. A lot of people do, right? You're not going to type in anything. You're not going to complete any piece of work without a significant amount of AI being involved in it. Because that's your job. That's what everyone's job is going to be sooner or later. It's like not using email and it's 2000. Uh, you know, it's it's like not, it's like trying to uh, talk uh, by going to a person's house and talking to them rather than calling them up, right? And Michaela, I want to throw it to you and particularly with the creative work, ghost work spin on the question. I think we should approach these, these tools uh, with a skepticism and also critical thinking. Because one of my fears is like people uh, depending on this technology so much uh, that it becomes more of an oracle than an assistant. So uh, we know that still this technology is not robust enough, not perfect. There is a lot of uh, conversations about hallucinations. Um, so for me, the, the interesting thing is like how you can take advantage of this and and as you be both, both week and Adil were saying, like amplifying your skills, but at the same time, keep 
your critical thinking uh, active and, and reactive to this. And this is something that we have seen in the, the debates about using ChatGPT in schools and education and, and how to integrate this into the curriculum. And I, I fully support that we should, uh, I, I was like talking about schools, like we are just outright banning the use of these tools and you cannot ban it like trying to, to, to cover the sun with a hand uh, because uh, people is going to get creative about this. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but there was this guy that connected ChatGPT to, because this is cool, like, it's like we are going to admit only handwritten essays because we don't want people cheating with ChatGPT and someone like connected a, a printer with like a, an arm. So the, the, the things that was coming out from ChatGPT were like printing as, as if it was like handwritten. And I know it's like a silly example, but for me it's like the, the, the sum of like, you cannot uh, deny the potential of these technologies and you cannot just think that they are going to go away. So it's like, how do we integrate with this, uh, with the, the most benefit for all? When I think like we should approach technology with this critical uh, approach and thinking on where is good to apply it and where we should apply it and, we sh and where we should not do it. And of course, the creative labor is severely impacted. I recently was speaking here in Argentina with the, the Association of, of uh, illustrators, but we are seeing this, like a lot of people is losing their shops and we are not seeing mechanisms of replacement or, or redistribution of wealth that can like change this in, the, in any time soon. I think all of you made really great points. And I think two of the big ones were that AI is a tool and the future that we have alongside it or underneath it will depend on how we prepare to use this tool and that the genie's not going back into the bottle, right? Like Michaela, you said, you can't block the sun with your hand. So it's really important that instead of trying to stop a train, we figure out and how to position ourselves to how to best use it. And I think that brings up a really good question because one of the pretty big discussions in the AI space are some of the issues around halluc AI hallucinations, um, misinformation through AI, discrimination and bias. And there's this conflict that these technologies have all these great use cases, all this great potential, and we want to move forward and we want to innovate, but we want to make sure that we're approaching these issues thoughtfully so that we're not moving forward and exacerbating the problems that exist in society or exist in AI at this level. So I guess from each of your perspectives, how do you navigate that balancing act between there's issues, there's things that we need to improve, but there's also this unlimited potential and we want to move forward, but we want to move forward carefully. Adil, do you want to start on that one? As an individual, you, every person must have their own personal philosophy for how to maximize the gains for themselves and for their loved ones. As a member of society, one must make the determination of where they want society to go and leverage the tools available to them. You can use it to make major changes to society. Through things such as if you're a bad actor, you can create a bunch of misinformation or create a bunch of good information and try to get somebody elected into uh, office and so on. I think there is one higher level uh, that has now opened up a, a discussion on whether we should accelerate or decelerate. And the accelerationist movement, the effective accelerationist movement is, I think, one way in which people can... Uh, end up aligning their philosophy and then start working towards it. That movement states that you should 
continuously be trying to build as much as possible because AI will solve our problems. If you believe in that, you should find a job in an AI field and try to get things done, try to build something. It's never been easier to build an application. It never has been. I've built, I've built a few in the last couple of months. Uh, it has never been easier to build an application on top of a platform that is so simple and straightforward and easy to use that will help you to build something. So if you want to make a big impact in the world, I think everyone should. You should just start using AI to A, benefit yourself, B, determine what your medium term or lifetime types of goals are and try to impact those. And three, try to do something regarding your philosophy on whether AI beings should exist uh, alongside humans, what the relationship between humanity and the uh, emergent artificial intelligent uh, species is going to be, and try to do things as associated with that based off of whatever your pro proclivities are. Michaela, I think for a spin on this answer from your perspective, you've worked in like regulatory, doing your work in Argentina, but you also work with creatives. And I think with both of those communities on the regulatory side, there's you want to be innovative, you don't want to lose in the global race, but you want to protect your citizenship. And in the creative field, again, you want to be innovative, you want to compete and make sure you're generating work and that you're using all the tools available to you, but you want to also protect your creations and protect the community of creatives. So how do you, from those perspectives, think about the accelerationist and the accelerationist movements? It's a great question because what, I, what I'm thinking lately is that copyright has been like uh, trying to put everything in the existing boxes. And for example, when we start to have software and we have to uh, assign uh, protection under copyright law, we end up like uh, putting it in the same box of, of a literary work because it was like this new thing that we don't know where this belongs and we're going to put it here. And I feel like something is happening uh, in the same, uh, around the same uh, with, with AI. Um, it's a really tough question because for me, it's about who is picking up the pieces of the people that's going to be displaced or, or the people that's going to be. And I agree with Adil that there is like potential to do like fantastic things. But my concerns is like, what we do with the people that is falling out of the scope of these technologies? And, and the people that, for example, here in Argentina doesn't have connectivity and, and doesn't have like uh, access to the system, doesn't have the knowledge, so how are we going to reshape society to, to make sure that we're going to benefit everyone? Uh, because I, I can understand like from the, the individual perspective saying like, okay, I can use this to benefit uh, myself and, and my family, as I was saying. But for me, it's like how this is going to impact in the bigger picture. And when you go back to creatives, it was super interesting to see the reactions because of course they are concerned, they are scared about uh, AI replacing. And this was a sentiment that was changing really, really fast because I, I started talking about AI activity, I think like six years ago, five years ago. And I was like warning people about what was coming. And creative people was like, AI is never going to replace us because creativity is like a human trait. And now we are seeing like people get, getting really scared about this. It's like was when people was laughing about Boston dynamic robots falling apart, and now you're seeing the Boston dynamic uh, robots doing choreographies with BDS. It's like now, oh, uh, uh, Midjourney doesn't know how to draw a hand, and months later you have like really uh, overcoming this uh, these difficulties. So it's like 
how are we going to and, and the, sorry i'm going to go back to circle back to a point that they were saying uh, at some point are you angry about the systems because they are taking out your work or are you angry at the new artists and, and the people that is using prompts uh, because they are taking away your jobs and people were saying in that conference like i don't mind if someone is using ai to to augment their creativity because they don't know how to draw or maybe they don't know how to uh, create something but the thing is like i feel threatened in my life my livelihood so going back again it's like redistribution of wealth if we want to ensure that ai is going to benefit humanity and it's going to uh, uh create a better state for us all for me it all circles back and how are we going to pick up the pieces of the people that is being left out of the ai revolution Yeah, I think that's a really important point in that balancing the acceleration and deceleration like who is being affected how are we being affected and I think that is a hard balance to draw. But Kalpa, I'm going to throw another spin onto this question for you because I think you have a lot of experience with AI and large scale corporations and I think that can create its own dynamics in terms of acceleration deceleration. You have consumers and internal stakeholders that you have to please. So it's like you want to do the most especially there's a lot of excitement in this space but you want to make sure that you're doing the things that benefit your company in the long run so both just generally in terms of acceleration deceleration but also from your position at a large scale company how do you think about this conversation well i deal with those situations every single day right, right. so i i keep talking with my friends with chatgpt and genai i mean uh, it has done good and bad to me personally the good in a way that i have been exposed to the wide variety of issues and problems opportunity challenges that i could use ai to solve to some degree uh bad jokingly i said you know what i don't have breathing room out in my calendar right now everyone wants to consult in ai and you know i want to do something so from the organizational perspective how i like to see these things as so folks come in they ask for request can i get open ai can i get aws bedrocks different vendor tools platforms open source right to enable within organization but you know that any corporations like ourselves we have appropriate guardrails and control you know put you know the controls in place that we can just allow folks to do things however they want partly because we don't want to have another samsung moment in takeda in my company particularly uh we want to allow folks to be able to go and try something you know safely in a content environment perhaps with less you know um, restrictive data but at the same time you know we all we are also trying to be very careful on how we are going to do that so we are currently working on a process some kind of approach that helps people kind of fulfill the uh, you know current demands at the same time not not distracting the innovation mindset getting something into the place but at the same time not trying to do too much you know within this and, and and the reason i'm bringing this is look at how far we have come along in the past 6 months right so it was what december november december was when open ai released llms um and now like all of a sudden we have falcon we have inalama you know with just you know um trained on a you know windows machine even a mac right there's a lot of open source services so we do not want to be investing on something today and in the spirit of trying to rush to get something done uh, and and go and become obsolete in the next 3 to 6 months and from an organizational perspective i you know that's an investment approach right oh, is this feasible for us to do do we want to necessarily you know reinvent the world and and when i look at this from that from that implementation perspective sometimes i also have to think about 
are there platforms and tech companies coming up with some kind of AI infused solution, right? Generative AI in their product space? And the reason, the answer is yes, right? So, you know, I do not want to be doing something in the company, you know, uh, just because I feel like I'm going to miss this hype moment. Uh, and I also know for a fact that these platform companies, you know, Amazon, you know, you know, Stability AI, you know, Databricks, Microsoft, they are all going to have something in their roadmap tightly integrated for us to be able to go and consume, right? So there is that balance as an organizational leader in terms of investment. One recurring point here has been the importance of people adopting this technology. It's not going anywhere and not being AI literate is going to be like not being computer literate. No one is going to hire someone who comes and says, you can only communicate with me through paper mail. I do not believe in email. So for people who don't have you guys' experience and are coming at this new, what are the opportunities for them to get integrated in this world? What are the experiences they could be gathering? Where should they be getting their news? What are the things that they should be paying attention to? What are what, what would you point them to? Well, first of all, I'll make a call out to Adil. Follow him, right? He, I know that he shares lots of you know really good LinkedIn articles on AI stuff and all of that. He's been my source of you know news for you know, and I know I haven't told you Adil, but I keep following your news a lot. Thanks. Uh, to me, you know, without trying to get too technical about a bunch of these things and ask you to go and um, couch this Google Scholar news articles and all of that, um, Twitter. I mean, I don't know why, but I, I have been um, finding um, uh, lots of really good content on Twitter, find the right people, you know, um, balanced, right? You might not want to follow just technologists, but also right. policymakers, you know, what are bringing a well, you know, balanced view of the things, right? That's what I'm really trying to develop myself as, you know, even though my background you know, is in computer science, scientists, I'm really trying to develop more as an information scientist and sort of a social technical person, right? So I go to Twitter, find everything. Um, I, I skim results, you know, I skim, you know, uh, academic, um, you know, uh, reports um, every every week or so. Um, I, I look at what latest and greatest of these labs are producing. I look at what, you know, policy centers are producing. I look at, you know, European rules regulation. I mean, what I mean by looking at, I just skim at it and I'm not going to be expert and, and it, I don't intend to be, but just having that service right. information is going to help me a lot. Adil, since you got a shout out and you're <laughs> one of the answers to this question, what are your, what do you think? Just use chat GPT. Just like uh, number one, if you pay for it, just pay for it. If you pay for it, then you're going to be incentivized through your own uh, hacking yourself to use it. And then when you use it, you can use the browsing plugin to ask it every day. Hey, what's the latest news? You know, guess what? It'll actually give you good answers and you can interact with it in a conversational way to get more information. Uh, you can copy paste the entire contents of a um, of a new paper and throw it in there. So they can explain this to me like I'm five years old and uh, you can you don't need to use ChatGPT. You can use Poe.com that has a lot of different uh, models. You can use any one of the many different models out there. You don't need to be following people that are saying 99% of people aren't using ChatGPT the right way and follow me right. and so that I can you know guide you. You can do this yourself, become effect effective at using AI in order to get knowledgeable about AI. I think that's a really good point. It reminds me of like when people see a child and they're like, this child understands technology so well. It's like the child didn't go take a tech class. Every day, they just spend a little bit of time on the internet and familiarize themselves with it slowly. Michaela, what do you think? I love uh, going back to Twitter and, and there are some accounts, Margaret Mitchell, uh, 
Timnit Hebrew. Uh, I love their takes on, on the space. Shaul um, Bolanimi. And also, uh, uh, there is a very good newsletter that I would recommend that's uh, TLDR on AI, which is kind of daily and has a really, really good sum up of, of what is going on. And of course, you, you want to go deeper, uh, just I, I spend a lot of my day like browsing Google Scholar and papers and seeing what's coming up. And it's going, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's like you have to educate your algorithms, your content algorithms, so they can provide for you the things that you are interested, but also always keeping like skeptical and critical thinking. Because uh, Adil was saying like, go to, go and use ChatGPT. And for me, it's still, there is still things that uh, we have seen solve about the hallucinations and, and the, the wrong answers. Uh, I was reading about the example of the time traveler, someone that uh, was doing trying these adversarial attacks uh, to trying to trick these models into kind of like crawl information a, a, a about them. So for me, it's like use these tools, but at the same time, be keep being critical and, and trying to check the sources. This is my favorite question for any panel. What are things you're excited about? We talked about this a little bit, but what are you excited about? What are you worried about? What are things that you're on the lookout for in the future of artificial intelligence? Bacalpa, Michaela, and then Adil, if you want to go in that order. Honestly, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of things going on at the same time. Um, I'd be very interested to hear what Michaela and Adil would have to say here. So okay. I, uh, We'll come back to you. <laughs> Michaela, what do you got for us? In terms of regulator regulations, I think one container that we are not uh, seeing so much is consumer protection, consumer regulation. So we are talking a, a lot about um, uh, how data protection regulations are impacting the way we, we think and, and we regulate AI. But for me in the future, uh, maybe uh, consumer protection uh, regulations are going to have more impact if we continue to use these uh, as, as users. And I don't know, because this is like more from a scholar perspective, from a personal perspective, uh, I am having AI anxiety sometimes because things are, I, I have been like breathing and working on this for so long and I was able to catch up with the latest things. And today, if you miss a week of what is happening, if you, if you blink, you're missing. So um, I think it's uh, interesting. Uh, that we cannot project like far reach from like two months, three months, what's going to happen. Yeah, we're, we're, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen very soon that we can pretty much be certain about that are going to be changing the world. First, there is a Malthusian split that will be occurring multiple times, a fractal of splits in all of human society in the haves and have nots across the different modalities of technology. The one amazing thing that I hope will happen that we're working towards and stability a lot is the democratization of uh, AI so that people can get access to it. So for instance, you know, maybe some schools in the US might be concerned about students using AI, uh, but I can guarantee you the schools in Karachi that I work with do not give a crap and those students don't have much of a chance in life anyway. So getting this kind of massive equalizer and having the information of the world at the fingertips from a conversational perspective is going to massively change their lives. Uh, so that's one thing that will be happening. The split between the augmented and the naturals, perhaps, right? This uh, new cybernetic future that is coming within the next 10 to 20 years, can you imagine? You'll never need to translate anything to a different language. You will never need to worry about knowledge that you do not know or technology that you do not know how to operate uh, 
already now you can do a lot of things with your car by looking at a YouTube video, but you won't need to leverage that either. Within a few years, uh, within a few months, the, the ability to generate videos and images will be so uh, amazing that you will not need to leverage uh, data uh, from outside. There will be licensed models that you can use. There will be creativity of your own. Um, I don't believe my son is ever going to watch a TV show. I, do, I believe he will ask for a TV show to be made for him and he will watch it and consume it. I don't believe you'll need to play a video game from the past that was made for him in the past. He will have generative video games made for him. Um, but all of these things, my view is very similar to what Max Tedmark said in his Lex Friedman interview, which I recommend you guys watch. He said that humanity is hurtling towards a cliff and the closer we get, the more scenic the views are, which means that these are all the beautiful things that we uh, especially we few who leverage AI and and are closer to the source rather than to the end of the consumer pipeline, we few will get to experience these majestic beauties of uh, what is possible through uh, the centauric, the cybernetic uh, world that we're entering into until eventually we do create systems that kill us. Sounds like there's a lot to look forward to, a lot to not know yet, and a lot to be prepared for. So on that note, I want to thank all of our panelists. I really appreciate you dedicating the time and thank all the attendees. The recording of this event will be available on our YouTube and our socials shortly. And to learn more about the Foundry, you can visit us on our socials. As a reminder, this event was the first in a series of events about AI, get it gearing up for our policy hackathon. So look out for our next event, which will be about AI and intellectual property in a couple of weeks. And with that, thank you all to the panelists. Thank you all to the attendees and everyone have a great day. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show. And this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Alison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.